Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. everyone, welcome back to Leftover. This is Arjun. I'm Nikita. This week we are joined by the very special legend of the timeline himself, nursing his first pub hangover of the year, Tom Usher, Hi. to discuss <laughs> the most British of institutions, uh, football, uh, which might already have turned some people off, but I promise we'll endeavour to make it as interesting as possible. How are you doing, Tom? Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm good, yeah. I'm just um, hungover and sitting on the floor of my... Uh, living room. <laughs> good stuff. And how is that? How is that first pub hangover treating you? Is it? Is it? Is it one of the good hangovers? Uh, no, I mean, this, well, this one's felt kind of weirdly uneasy. I have a. I went to the. I went to get a tattoo that was like a really big tattoo yesterday, and it was like four hours long, and it's like in a really painful place in my arm. So it's like all gotten all gone all bruised and stuff. So I've been like in pain from that, and I've had like actual work to do as well. So it's been like one of those hangovers where you just don't actually get to enjoy the hangover. You just have to constantly feel anxious the whole time. So yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry to report it's been a bad one. <laughs> That's a shame. That is definitely a shame. But now that the yeah. pubs are open, here's hoping to many, many good hangovers. To many more good hangovers, yeah. Yeah, you can adjust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll adjust. I'll get back, I'll get yeah, back yeah. into the flow. I'll get back into the rhythm of it. Exactly. Quickly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, yeah, like I said, you know, uh, we're going to be talking a bit about football today and sort of what it means for British society, what, um, you know, what it means for us as leftists also to be fans of the game uh, in, you know, this this very perverted, disgusting, corrupted, modern iteration of it. And I think a good place to start is for all three of us, our our mutual love for Arsenal football. Love. Love, well... It's <laughs> a strong word. Strong word. I mean, uh, how, how would you describe it, Nikita? Ambivalence. <laughs> I definitely think the last the last Arsenal game, I mean, I remember, like, I don't think it's ever been got to the point where I've actually forgotten that there was a game on and that Sheffield United game was the first time that I just forgotten completely that we were even playing. Like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty religious about, like, all that stuff and... For me to like not even remember that there was a game on or not even like be asked about watching it. Obviously, I did end up, I, I did end up tuning in about 10 minutes in. Only when I'd seen like someone post a, a lineup saying, oh, this looks a bit weird. And me thinking, oh, why is that on now? And then I was like, oh, shit, yeah. And then like, I just just made it in time for us scoring that amazing goal. So then it was like, I really hate you, Arsenal. And then I don't care about you. And then suddenly, again, we're the best team in the world again in the space of about five minutes. That's all the emotions I felt like. Rapid succession, basically. Gotten too used to Thursday night football. Oh, dear. One of the most depressing things, like, just in the lead-up to this episode, I was just reading some quotes by Wenger, and one of the things that he wrote is, my job is to entertain the people who are working every week, to entertain them on Saturdays and Wednesdays. And I was just thinking, oh, no. It's Thursdays (laughs) and Sundays now. It's Thursdays and Sundays now. (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh... 
I literally can't. I can't remember the last time I fucking went to like the Saturday games <laughs> at the Emirates. Are like the best game. They're the best games to go because it's three p.m. kickoff. Mm-hmm. You wake up. There's so many pubs on Holly Road as well. So many. Exactly. You have a couple of beers. You have a fry up. You have a couple of beers, and then you get into the stadium, and then you're already kind of buzzing. And it's like three p.m., so it's a nice time to like be kind of buzzing. And then you go in for half time, two beers as quick as you can at half time, come out. And then if you win, that's just your weekend sorted. Then you're just buzzing for the rest of the weekend, basically. You get really fucked. And if you lose, then you can just go home quickly at like five, five o'clock and like cry yourself to sleep. So like, either way, you're like, you're sorted for that weekend. It's calm. But like, I think if now you go on a Sunday, it's like, do I get pissed? Do I have a tea? Do I have a coffee? Like, do I be like having food? And like losing on a Sunday is just gives you that extra, that extra like kind of taste of depressing, I think. But like losing on a Saturday is like, oh, I can still go out maybe if I wanted to. But losing on a Sunday is like, there's just nothing left for me here except for like work just to like cushion the blow. So yeah, it's like double depressing, I think. Exactly. It's just got that sort of, that foreboding sense of like, it's all over kind of feeling on Sunday, you know, because yeah. it's like, yeah. you already know yeah. that it's, you know, back to work the next day and, and, and everything. Yeah, exactly. The weekend's over, the football's over, everything's over. Exactly. Like, even if you want to go celebrate as well, then you're just going to fuck yourself over. So there's literally nothing, you don't, no, no winning, no one wins <laughs> whatever happens on a, on a Sunday to Thursday. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, what you mentioned sort of about like, five different emotions in the space of like 20 minutes when you're watching Arsenal. Um, yeah. Like I, I always say that like I, I, I support Arsenal more than like I love football, you know? Like yeah. I, I, I find it very, very rarely do I like watch football games where Arsenal is not playing. Nowadays, yeah. I very rarely watch Arsenal play either because that's that's a whole different matter because we are shit yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> well, kind of, but we are pretty shit now. Um, but when yeah. we when we first became friends, it were like we'd be chatting yeah. when Arsenal were playing, and yeah. like when it looked like we were shit, I'd be like, "Go on, turn it on, turn it yeah. on." <laughs> it's safe for you to turn it on now. I think is like a few times I, I got think messages from after to... like ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Because I, I was born in India and I moved to London uh, at eight years old. But like before that, like I was really into cricket as a kid because uh, obviously you're in India in the 90s, you're really into cricket. And like when moving to England, I, I always kind of like, I always had the impression that cricket would be really popular here as well uh, because it's like the birthplace of cricket after all. But like, you know, when I before I came, I think it was my dad that must have explained to me that no, it's, it's actually football that people support there. And, and you know, the two main clubs are... Manchester United and Arsenal. Oh. The first place that I lived in London in 98 when we moved here was actually closer to White Hart Lane than Ivory. <laughs> but we Whereabouts moved- was it? We're green. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I was born in Crouch End. Right, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, I actually had a whole thing where all my family, obviously I was born in to like Arsenal family or whatever. And like, um, yeah, all- we've all been living in North London for like, I think a couple of general, a couple of like decades at least um because my brothers were all like i got some i had some family that were like in their 20s by the time i was born so they'd obviously been going to the games for like years and stuff um even though my dad wasn't into it it was more like my brothers Mm -hmm. uh were into it kind of thing so that's how i got into it but like uh i definitely remember there being a time when i went i i was super young and i was like going up to my dad's uh tree surgery she had a tree surgery called usher tree surgery which is in enfield and mm-hmm. I went up there and all the, as a little child, all the 
older guys up there, all the people at his work, all the tree surgeons and stuff, were all like Spurs fans. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, oh, how come you don't support, how come you don't support Spurs? You should support Spurs. You're like, you're nearer to Tottenham Stadium and all that shit. And then my brain was like, maybe I should support Spurs. <laughs> and I like, started to like think about it for a bit. And then my brothers were like, no, you're not fucking supporting Spurs. You're supporting Arsenal. Shut up. You're not doing any of that. But it was like, it was like, there was a brief moment. I think North, obviously a lot of North London just blends into one kind of, I mean, yeah, I think um, Crouch End is definitely closer than Wood Green, to be fair. Crouch End is definitely closer yeah, to Wood... closer to, to Hybrid than, than to White Hart Lane, yeah, I would say. I think Wood Green, Green is definitely Tottenham. I mean, yeah, yeah where, around where I am, I've I've already had, like, um, dudes on the street, like, shouting at me when I wear my Arsenal shirt and like, <laughs> Western Road and shit like that. And I, I, I weirdly, like, I, I just, I forget, like, because my, my, my boxing club is, is right in the fucking, is right next to White Hart Lane. And I go there a lot and I, I keep on forgetting to like not wear Arsenal stuff. Like I've been to a couple of boxing gyms recently. There's one in West London that I'm going to at the moment. That's like all Chelsea fans. And the first time oh. I went there, I went with my Arsenal shirt and they're all just like, get that off. And it's all, they're kind of bantering, but then they're all like really hard yeah. fucking old like dudes. And they're all like looking at me like, <laughs> and I'm still just like, Wah. that's the first time I've ever seen them. They're like, take that fucking Arsenal shirt off. But yeah, you just kind of forget that like, you're not really meant to go other places with Arsenal shirts on, I think. It's still, yeah, obviously, yeah, like, yeah. the kind of hooliganism shit has died down a lot, but it's still, it still is, like, if you go to the wrong area with a, the wrong footy shirt on, it still is, like, a, a vaguely, like, terrifying thing, really. Like, walk into the Bill Nicholson in, in Tottenham wearing an Arsenal shirt and yeah. you will get beaten up, like... <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, yeah, definitely pubs and stuff like that, but even in the, in the wrong area, but I haven't really... I have I, I just kind of forget, because when you grow out of being a teenager, as a, as a man, you kind of forget the fear that you have constantly as a teenage boy. I don't know if, like, what you were like when... But when I was, like, growing up, like, it was terrifying, basically, being a teenage boy because you just were constantly aware that any dude would easily beat the shit out of yeah. you. And I think like, you were getting definitely got targeted in London by scary dudes. It would always be like teenage kids that they would pick on and shit. So that is, but I think you kind of grow out of that as you get yeah, older. Yeah, but yeah. I think, yeah, as a teenager, I was a lot more scared of all of that, getting beaten up for Arsenal shirts and stuff. <laughs> but sorry, I can't even remember what we were talking about. No. <laughs> just, just Arsenal. <laughs> just about Arsenal and about like sort of, uh, oh, right, you yeah. know, like when I, when I first moved to, to London, you know, like the, the fact that I was living closer to, to, to Tottenham than Arsenal, but it was oh, in the yeah, summer yeah, of 98 yeah. when Arsenal had just won the double. And so obviously oh. I was not going to support Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and plus, you know, it seemed to make sense. Like there was a guy called Arsene Wenger, who was the manager of Arsenal. My name is Arjun, yeah. Arsenal. It just kind of like made sense somehow <laughs> in my head. Um, the cannon, the shirts, it all kind of like fit in. And in, uh, I remember in 99, um, when we uh, lost the league on the final day, I think we played uh, Villa and uh, United played Tottenham. And uh, Tottenham were leading 1-0 at halftime. And if, and if Tottenham had won that game, then we would have won the league in 99. The year, the year that, that, that Man United won the treble, I remember Arsenal would have won the league in, on the final day. But in the end, Man United came back in the second half and I think won 2-1 or 3-1. Um, and um, I remember writing a letter a handwritten letter at nine years old to Arsene Wenger <laughs> saying, I'm really sorry you tried so hard this season, but you didn't win. <laughs> and uh, I got sent like a little care package from the club with like a signed picture of, of the club, of, of, of the team and stuff like that, which was really, really sweet. Um, <laughs> but um, I was just talking about, uh, I was just, like talking to a friend just a few days ago, um, 
saying that, you know, this is what we're going to talk about in, in this episode. And uh, he's also a massive Arsenal fan. And, you know, we, we've been friends since we were kids. And uh, and he was just saying, you know, how he was watching the, the Europa League game the other day, which we, I think, drew 1-1. I didn't even watch it. Yeah, but, we shat yeah. it right at the end. Yeah, we shat it right at the end. And he was saying, like, even while watching this game, I was just thinking, I just love Arsenal. You know, that, like, I watch football to feel something. You know, and with oh, Arsenal, the majority of it is a bad feeling, but it's a feeling. Yeah, <laughs> you, know? yeah. <laughs> you definitely feel alive. At least. You can't ever deny that you're not feeling alive at all times. You're running like, the gamut of all the emotions, like dread, anxiety, sadness, despair, happiness, anger. It's all there in one Arsenal game. Usually, every all at the same time. It's a bit like British so, yeah, British you- weather, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we've, team. we've had that the last couple of weeks. We've had the full Arsenal experience when it comes to British <laughs> weather. I came into football late, and I, I missed all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. It was 2016 when I really got into football. But I've got like the kind of so grew up with a Leicester household, but just wasn't into football. And um, I shared a bunk bed with my brother right into my teens, mm-hmm. and he, um, I think it was 2004. Um, like my dad fucked off and um, one of my mum's colleagues had a, a season ticket and started taking my brother to games. Mm-hmm. So every fucking night I'd be on the top bunk and he'd be nattering away about Arsenal and I'd be hearing <laughs> stuff and just kind of like, kind of taking it in, but also refusing to. <laughs> and then it came to 2016 or 20, Christmas 2015 when it looked like Leicester were going to win the league. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I want to I want to get into this. And um this is a little bit sad, but like where after my dad passed away, he had a football manager game saved onto his computer where he got Leicester to win the Premier League. Oh, and wow. my brother kind of mentioned it to me um that December. And that kind of like got me into it, but it was Arsenal that I got into because of my brother because otherwise I'd be going in completely blind and not knowing anything. And uh yeah, it was that last uh, last day of the season, 2016. Um, I was in a hospital room in Leicester and I think if I remember correctly it was like Spurs were meant to be second and they just completely fucked it against, a, rele- against a relegated Newcastle down to 10 minutes Newcastle yeah. yeah 5-1 they lost to 5-1 Mitrovic scored insane. and then got sent off that game yeah and then we like ended up becoming second on goal difference yes. or something ridiculous I mean like yeah like we, we won 3-0 that day but like I mean it was like Spurs were challenging for the title with Leicester that season and like yeah. that was the they joke. They came third in a two-horse race. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the last season that we actually finished above Spurs. Shockingly, um, it was twenty sixteen. <laughs> really exactly. have missed the good stuff. I know. It's 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 you really it's have. like I mean, cause you skipped the good stuff and went straight to the bad like, stuff. The real- yeah. like, you've like you've come straight for you just come straight for the decline. Like at least we had like some good stuff. Yeah, I mean, like the first eight years or whatever, I was watching football. Like Arsenal finished either first or second in the league every single year. But yeah, like coming back to what you were saying earlier about these these kind of, you know, about emotions, you know, about how, especially in an Arsenal game, like how how many different emotions get sort of put into one, you know. Do you reckon that there is this tendency, you know, especially uh, in Britain, but maybe in, in other places as well, probably, um, you know, of, of there being more of a sort of, um, 
I don't know if tendency is the right word, but uh, but an expectation for men to channel their emotions purely through sport <laughs> rather than any other means. <laughs> That's like the only acceptable way for men to actually like display their emotions. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's weird. Like I've 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 always played sport as from young. Like I've always been into football. Well, because David Seaman was like my idol, so I'd always like go and go and like. Um, dive around a lot on like them old school 3G no the old school they the weren't Astros. even called 3G they were just called Astro yeah, yeah. Um, there, there was one under white there was a YMCA in Crouchend I used to play in a lot and it was just us versus the local kids and stuff and like um, it would always be pretty rowdy and there'd always be like loads of fights and stuff but I think everyone just really just liked playing football so mm-hmm. you didn't really like I think it was just that was just the way you kind of just socialised I guess when you're young because before like puberty hits you like a fucking sledgehammer around the head and like starts opening your brain up to all the to other types of weird like like kind of adult shit you just all you want to do is just run around and like breathe heavily so like sport is the only thing you can really think of I guess that's how it was for me anyway and like I don't know in terms of like emotions like the Emery Arteta season where we ended up winning the FA Cup that was the last season mm-hmm. uh, that was the first season I managed to get hold of a season ticket mm-hmm. for like since since Highbury because sure. we, we used to have a season ticket in Highbury days but we have, I haven't been able to get anything since then I've had like red membership and stuff but that's only like basic membership but like this season ticket was like that's when I started to kind of see it uh, again in my adult life how and why like adult men would be willing to like um, adult men and women and, and whoever would be willing to like shell out however fucking much it is well we, we paid like a grand and a half but we got to pay it like over the space of a year but like you know some of them were like three grand some of them were like two grand some of them you know club level is like six grand and shit That's like crazy. Um, it's a lot of fucking money but you could see why it, it it was such a important thing because it really was like a like a like a quasi-religious fucking experience basically you fucking you go there every week basically or every other week for a home game like and it's in it's a community like you have all your um people around you like we didn't know the people left or right of us we didn't really speak to them that much but we did speak to them on the old time and like you even though you didn't know they were still the dudes next to you and there were still the dudes behind you and there were you know there were still your seats that you were there every week and like and not in terms of like an emotional thing, but it was like a a sense of belonging and a sense of like yeah of like feeling a part of something that you that you don't really get in many other aspects of modern life. Like, what is the other area of modern life that you do where you congregate mm-hmm. and enjoy something together repeatedly, except mm-hmm. for like maybe a church mm-hmm. or like your work? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you're meant to enjoy your work, but really, like no one fucking likes their work. So like you're congregating <laughs> every day to this place that you hate. And then you congregate in like, and, and then the only other place you congregate, maybe uh, in any any other shape or way or way shape or form, regularly is like the pub. So it's like the only place, and and, th- and that's how that's your kind of life. That's how you build these structures, and that's how you build like this kind of like emotional or like you know not emotional, but that's how you build like this social world that you actually are a part of. So you can really sense how people would how become so attached and that was the first kind of sign that I'd really seen it as my adult life because as I said the only other time I'd had a season ticket was with my brother had it in the Highbury when I was like 10 um, so I was super young um, and I never really saw it like in, in that way where as an adult thing it's a sense of belonging and like a sense of like uh, of like your of who you are really um, and like it's just something that isn't really that really that widely replicated in, in any other f- uh, form of like modern life and I think that's not to say that football is then that makes football some amazing thing, although I do think it is. Mm. But I think it also kind of speaks to how 
the rest of society is also kind of fucked because it's like, how come there isn't, how come football is the only thing that's really doing this for men? How come football's, or men, I say men traditionally, but you know, traditionally it was men Mm -hmm. and traditionally it still probably is like more dominated by men, you Mm -hmm. know, top level uh, football, even though it's obviously becoming a lot more like um, diverse in terms of uh, male to female supporters and stuff. But Mm -hmm. like, that is a weird thing, the way that, that, there is no other space except for maybe as i said like a church like you know places like where we can sit and congregate it's like either we go and play sport ourselves or we watch sport like those are the only two things we really know how to congregate like there's no like other kind of ways that are openly uh, encouraging you to congregate and uh, be together and learn together or share together or like you know communicate together except for these kind of big um uh, sporting experiences really and uh, yeah so i, I don't think I, I think this whole thing of masculinity being or like sport and all this um, the modern male being unable to I mean I guess a lot of men uh, do have troubles with like communicating emotionally and stuff on some level but I don't think I think that's been overplayed recently I think men like are perfectly fine at communicating emotionally they just don't want to or they just don't really <laughs> or they just like can't be asked. and I feel yeah. like this whole thing where you know you're, yeah but where's like the secret deep emotional thing that's going to make these men like cry and like want to like fucking write poems and shit like that's just some dude some dudes will do that and some dudes won't do that like i don't think it's like a universal thing that is innate in everyone and same with women as well like some women will want to do that and some women won't want to do that like i don't think this is like an innate thing but i think that definitely there's not they they, what there isn't is like there's not like anything that's like bringing us able to bring us together in society other than things like sport which is weird um basically Sorry, that was a massive long that's rant. Right. I don't know what that's... No, that's and, and... but yeah, that's that's how I feel. That's how I feel about it because the and the season ticket was the first time I really clocked it because yeah. I was like, shit, this is the only time I've really felt. I mean, I got to see one of my best mates, but I I've, I rarely ever got to see him outside going to the pub and doing packet or whatever and like um fucking you know like fucking all you do is just do like packet all weekend and just drink beer and it's like that's the only other time I got to see him on the weekend. So we just replaced that with fucking football and it's like yeah. okay so now I'm just replacing like coke um, football with coke and football at a football game <laughs> <laughs> but it's like so now we were just doing that in the pub and now we're just doing it in a football game but I mean at the same time it's, but at the football game it felt a lot more real it felt a lot more like you know I'm doing this with thousands of other people that all believe in the same thing and they're all affected emotionally by the same thing so it's a lot more of a powerful experience than just watching it in a big TV in a pub uh, it was a weird thing because Without that experience of a modern day season ticket, which I don't think many people really are lucky to have, it, it, you don't really realise how the modern game has still has a soul to it on some level. Yeah. Even a club like Arsenal, yeah. you still really does have a soul yeah. to them, despite you know the the mass kind of like chewing of like corporate stuff that's going on on the on the fringes. Like it still does have quite a, a deep rooted soul that you can't really eradicate because it's a human thing basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like but I know yeah. they call it the library or whatever, but you're um, you're standing amongst like you know a bunch of people and you're all feeling the same emotions at yeah. the same time, even if you're frustrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you're all there's this like unity, and I can was even there was a match I went to last year, and the guy I was sitting next to, I got chatting to him, just like this really old dude, and he wasn't even an Arsenal fan. His like friend had a season ticket and was too sick to come. But he got into it as well. Like he, we were both like yelling with each other because he was. You're you're there. Yeah. The ball is like right there. Yeah, we were yeah, quite yeah. close to the front because it's Europa League, mm-hmm. and um, like you're all feeling it. Yeah, yeah. You can't help but feel it though. That's the thing. Like you can't help but get involved in it. And like even if you're only like 
like tangentially fucking like uh, related to Arsenal in some way. Like I remember uh, I've taken my girlfriend a couple of times and she doesn't support Arsenal, sure. but like there was, there was a couple of Europa League games I took to her to and they were like group games and they were really shit. And she was kind of pissed off being like, why the fuck have you taken me to these shit games? <laughs> but then I took her to that, I took her to that Man United game that we beat Solskjaer uh, 2-0 yeah. and it was the first Arteta game playing yeah, yeah, Man United yeah. and we beat them 2-0 at home on New Year's Day mm-hmm. and we oh, had was that the amazing Xhaka free kick was that the one or I think it was Pepe scored uh, I definitely know Pepe scored like right in the area but I don't know what the other goal was but like it, it, I definitely remember like Ozil had a really great game that game and like everything came together to be an amazing experience mm-hmm. and that she was like blown away she'd never had an experience like that yeah. in her life in terms of anything yeah. like in terms of any kind of live music or mm-hmm. like or like dance music or anything because like, we go out to a lot of live gigs and, and like raves and, and festivals and shit and that kind of you know is just as good if not better yeah. than all of that because it's like it's such an incredible thing and obviously you know we hadn't slept so we'd like we were rolling through from the night before because it was New Year's Day and I think pretty much <laughs> fucking at least a good like 30% 40% of people were also fucking rolling through or still going <laughs> or like had still picked it up so it was like a fucking buzzing atmosphere and it was like really nuts but like you know those kind of experiences can be and even though she don't support Arsenal it's just the fucking vibe of the whole place like the crowd chanting like like off their heads like mm-hmm. everyone's fucking going for it and like that can be as I said like a semi-religious experience yeah just as much as any kind of live music or anything else can be really. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing about like football being a religious experience is like something that's kind of said in a slightly flippant manner, I think quite often, but I think that there is a lot more to it than just that, you know I mean? It, it is, it is, uh, you know, um, it, it, it holds quite a bit of weight. I mean, not just in the, in the sense of, and what you mentioned about like football, uh, you know, providing a space for community in a way that very few other things do, um, you know, which is something that previously something that, religion would you know give a give a place for like the church or the mosque you know or the, yeah. or the synagogue or the temple you know would would give a space for um uh and and it's this kind of like the idea of a pilgrimage as well you know and um and and also more than that i think there is just the arbitrariness of it you know i, I would always say like the closest thing that i had to religion growing up was was arsenal you know because i mean the your affiliation to it is ultimately completely arbitrary and you know your your hatred for let's say man united or spurs and therefore the people that support those teams as well you know is also therefore completely arbitrary it's marked by you know like completely um uh you know arbitrary geographical uh, uh markers and uh yet knowing all of this you still kind of get swept into it you know like even knowing all of this from like a young age and knowing how like it's it's completely irrational you know like there's no there's no like logic behind you know why you like this or why you like this particular team more than any others and why you kind of like choose to stick with them for the rest of your life like for for example like the idea that you can never choose you can never change the team that you support ever you know like and that's like something that yeah. you're stuck with and that's one of the things that i still am very very sort of militant about i would say you know like uh you know i'm like for my sins uh, as, as as you know whenever someone asked an arsenal fan like who do you support it's always you know prefaced with for my sins you know <laughs> it's a uh, it's a bit like this uh this um you know the biblical story of job you know uh, of like feeling like you're being tested <laughs> you're being tested and your faith and your love in this thing in god you know is being tested through increasingly cruel interventions <laughs> and, yeah. yeah it really is and um, so uh, my my other team is barnet and they have been <laughs> nice. uh, testing me 
Oh. They have, uh, I believe, 13 points this season. They might be on 14 now because I think they didn't lose the other day. But I also, you can't stop. <laughs> I'm still going to keep following them, <laughs> even though it's it's very upsetting and distressing. But it's actually quite good because um, the there's no relegations this season, and they're just losing through losing every match, and nothing's going to happen. What 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 in what league? The uh, the national. Oh right, they're just not even bothering relegating this season. Because uh, I think the the league below, uh, national north and national south, um, have been voided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nobody's think... going down, and I, I don't actually know everyone's going up in the national league because it's. <laughs> It's not of my concern. <laughs> Season's just a write-off, isn't it? I think it's... I mean, it's been... Arsenal definitely feels like a write-off, at least. Yeah. I, I'd be quite happy if we finish in the top half. I mean, historically as well, uh, football clubs started sort of coming about sort of at, at the latter part of the 19th century around the same time as the force of nationalism as well you know so like the idea of having almost like a quasi-militaristic uh display uh you know of two like battling uh factions um you know being something that different communities congregate around you know like was something that that came about at the same time as the ideas of the nation state were coming about you know in the in in the late 19th century and uh, you know quite famously uh, in 1945 right after the second world war the dinamo moscow team which uh, came to visit uh, england well england and scotland and they they played four games i think they played uh, arsenal chelsea rangers and someone else and they won two games and drew two games and and George Orwell wrote about this at the time and he's kind of like, you know, drawing that comparison between, you know, the force of nationalism and the, you know, the 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 type of almost fanaticism that you see in football as well, you know? Something, you know, like like you were talking about, like the, this idea of football being this space uh, and, and one of the only ones, you know, especially in, 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 in modern British society where, um, you know, where, where people can congregate and which kind of, gives the space to this community. So during the 2018 World Cup, uh, you know, which uh, England got to the semi-finals, and uh, it was, you know, England in, England performed far better than anyone really expected them to. And it was like the furthest that England had, had got in the, in the World Cup in since 1990, right? Uh, I believe that was the last time. That was quite, uh, quite a remarkable time, I think. I, I don't know, what, what was you guys' experience of, uh, of summer 2018 in the World Cup? Shit. Yeah, what the fuck was I doing? Uh, that's the one where, where we had the Southgate and everyone yeah. was going mad to the Southgate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that was fucking jammy, man. Like, I, I, I like, I like the idea <laughs> of like England, England being good. Like, I don't know. I like the idea that we're not doing these like super mega coaches that just like, oh shit. But it's like, I, I for me, because it's because it's not Arsenal. Like, I don't really care if we spend loads of money on, like, Fabio Capello or Sven Goran Eriksson and, like, whatever. Like, I don't care because it's not my money. It's not, like, my club. It's not, like, my team that might implode or do a lead, like, eventually. It's just a fucking FA. <laughs> so, like, if they want to spend, like, millions on some, like, kind of wacky fucking manager who's, like, one of the best managers in the world but costs, like, billions a year, then I don't give a shit. Like, do that. But, like, the whole idea about Southgate was almost, like, I think in everyone's mind that he was kind of like what Arteta is now to Arsenal where he's like a like a long-term project where mm-hmm. he's not just yeah. going to win straight away yeah. like you're going to expect out of like a top-class manager but he's going to be good eventually because he's going to grow with the team and blah, blah, blah. But like, I haven't seen shit from that either from Southgate. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is about every 
in the manager, but they end up just reverting to basically being like shit and defensive at some point. Playing playing three three defensive midfielders at once. Yeah, <laughs> and like playing three defense. It's like it's like we've got literally now one of the best attacks in the world. If we got someone in. Like Wenger, I know it's just a cliche just to say it, but it's like if we got like an attacking coaching who knew the fuck he was doing, then like and we actually you know had all these ins- insane attackers, then we might look like we would start winning stuff. But I just can't see. I thought that Southgate was jammy to get to the semis. I mean, we basically didn't play anyone decent that whole time. We played Colombia and they were okay, but even yeah. Colombia like so we went like pens, didn't we? That went to the pens. Yeah, we yeah, went through on penalties pens, yeah. and they tried to shit house us and all that shit, and it was like it didn't really work. But like, then we ended up just about winning on penalties. And then we beat Sweden because, I mean, they weren't saying much. And then we got to Croatia, who were like the first semi-decent team, and they batted yeah. us. So it was like, well, yeah. you know, and, I, and everyone wants to say it was a great World Cup, but it wasn't really. Like, the only game that really mattered, that, that really showed me that we could have done something potentially was Colombia. And that, that even that was just because it was like a, a penalty thing is always good to win when you're an England fan, I think. Because we're so like wedded to the idea of going out on penalties that like it was the first time England had won a had won a penalty shootout. Yeah, and that's what the, the Southgate thing kind of comes into it as well. Like that was his redemption. Yeah. It was redemption thing. So it was a nice yeah. story, I think. And it's I think for the first time, maybe I've just been hostile for too long. But I actually like this England team. Like I'm never gonna like Harry Kane. Yeah, but <laughs> the rest yeah. of them, I'm like okay. they're nice boys. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah I actually I like this England team I definitely like this England team more than I've ever liked any um, England team for a while like I I did really like the team that we had with like Campbell and Cole and Beckham and Seaman and stuff like that because there was still quite a lot of Arsenal players in there but like I feel like with this England team it's just got a really nice balance and like it just feels like they're just a nice bunch of lads. Like they yeah. all just like people like Grealish and Saka and like Sterling. They all just seem like nice dudes. Few, um, fewer massive so egos. I'm kind of like happy like to fewer cunts, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It does feel like. I mean, you don't have as like people don't like no racists as well. Yeah, like exactly. No, you don't John have like Terry John helps. Terry like fucking make, stinking up the center of defense. No one's so, fucking mean, yeah. anyone's wives. That's why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, the centre backs aren't fucking the left back's wife, basically. So it's a win win for me. Um, yeah, because I remember watching that England Columbia game in a, in a pub in uh, just off Finsbury Park, um, and obviously it was completely rammed. And then like just watching England win that that penalty shootout, and and I mean, I it's it will just always be impossible for me, and I mean impossible for me. To ever support England in any sport, like I'm sorry, just I I just cannot yeah. bring myself to do it. And I, j- during this last World Cup, it was, you know, th- there was something quite surreal. I think you know the whole atmosphere and this this almost um, like like you said, you know, like England's path to the semi-finals was pretty jammy. You know, like they didn't play any particularly strong teams until the semi-final. You know, as as opposed to the other side, you know, of the of the of the draw, which was like way way tougher. At the same time, you know, like there was this, you know, it was good weather and, uh, you know, just on the streets, you know, you just hear like people unironically singing three lions, uh, or, uh, yeah, three lions, I guess, not four lions, four lions is the film about the terrorists, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, singing fucking, you know, it's coming home, uh, uh, singing, you know, songs about, um, about, about Gareth Southgate, um, and, uh, at the same time, you know, like there, there was a lot of optimism about it at the time and, and you know, just uh, a, a lot of sort of goodwill given to 
the what was essentially a massive display of nationalism at the time uh you know and i don't know maybe i'm just a massive fucking you know spoil sport when it comes to this but like i just always find that kind of display of nationalism just to be not just problematic but like i just find it very uncomfortable to be around and like like i will always just find it uncomfortable to be around a very loud crowd of largely white people with St. George's flags there. Regardless, I mean, if it's if it's a football game, I understand that that's the context of the football game, but I will automatically find that that's, that situation uncomfortable. And I think that there's a lot of other people who probably would as well. Uh, and um, during that last World Cup, um, there was an alternative World Cup, which was happening, uh, which is called the CONIFA World Cup. And the CONIFA is the Confederation of Independent Football Associations. And um, these are stateless nations. So like Kurdistan has a team. I, I think like a ta- like the Tamils have a team, for example. Uh, Tibet has a team. That World Cup was being held in London uh, in 2018 at the same time. And I went to the final, which was in Enfield. Um, and uh, it was between North Cyprus and Carpatalia. North Cyprus is a, is a Turkish part of Cyprus, obviously. And we're in North London, so there's obviously like a lot, a lot of Turkish Cypriots up there. And uh, but then Carpatalia, which is like this, uh, like I think Hungarian-speaking province in Ukraine, if I remember correctly, okay. in the Carpathian Mountains. Um, and they're like they they're, there's a nationalist movement there, I guess. I I I, know, I still know very little about it. I mean, the game was pretty shit, and like it was 90 minutes of like not particularly good football, and it was kind of raining and stuff. But like. That was like one of the nicest days I've days out I've had in like in like such a long time, and I just went with a friend, and it was like slightly overcast, and you know there was like the smell of fried onions from the hot dog van, and like there was maybe a couple of couple of thousand people there, and like the football didn't have to be particularly good. There wasn't like a huge amount of money there. And it was just still such a fucking nice day out. And then, like, in those kinds of moments, then you kind of remember, like, what football was about in the first place, you know? Uh, and 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 why it became a thing that communities did end up congregating around, you know? Because there is there is something very sort of innocent about it almost, you know? Um, yeah. Like you're saying, like, there's these, these kind of, like, ups and downs of emotion. Like, even there... You know, like when Carpitalia won on penalties in the end after a nil-nil 90 minutes, when they won on penalties, they were still celebrating on the field like they'd won the Champions League, you know, and, and they may as well have, you know? Yeah. That sort of magic that's there and that sort of ephemeral feeling of, you know, like being uh, in this like massive crowd and kind of like feeling this collective emotion you know something that we sort of mentioned maybe in you know in a previous episode when we were talking about like rave music and um and and like what you were mentioning as well yourself tom about you know like going out raving and live music and things like that it's a, it's a kind of similar similar thing i guess um uh of you know the, this kind of collective emotion that you feel you know when you're in a space like that and there is yeah really very very little uh substitute for that you know and and you know when you're in a space like that that's so sort of so removed from the sort of blatant excesses of the modern game you really can i think really can appreciate that a lot more as well yeah i feel like that's what everyone's kind of doing now they're all like everyone's like looking for a more stripped back experience when it comes to football like i know my mates uh uh my mates uh girlfriend's 
mates play for Dulwich Hamlet uh, women's team. Nice. And uh, they all go down and support them and stuff. And they go see them like quite regularly to play. And they're just like, it's just a lot more fun. Like yeah. you can just sit yeah. and drink whilst you're watching the game. Like there's no pressure in the same sense of Arsenal losing or winning or yeah, your yeah, team yeah. losing or winning, whoever they are. And like, I, I, I was definitely looking for before lockdown happened quite like around about this uh it was around about october november time last year i was looking around for like local teams and there was a uh, harringay near yeah, me yeah, yeah, exactly um has got a stadium and stuff and i think islington i can't remember or i think it's either islington or harringay i can't remember but i think it's harringay and that's basically harringay that, borough yeah, yeah, harringay yeah. Has so team, that's yeah. like near wood that's near wood green i think mm-hmm. uh or just past it but like yeah so that I was looking just to go to a football club that I could just go to watch a football game, even if it's not the greatest quality, and just drink a pint mm-hmm. and like just have a nice kind of more, um, a more kind of like I guess archaic time because obviously when you used to go to Highbury, it kind of was a lot more closer to that, mm-hmm. and like um, it was a lot more traditional in terms of yeah, there'd be like a couple of hot dog stalls outside and stuff like that, and like you'd go and get a pint, um, and you'd you could like get a pint for like like seriously cheap and all this kind of like jumpers for goalposts style like the old <laughs> dad analysis of football was a lot more relevant back then and I think you do have to go a lot further down the leagues to get that kind of experience yeah. these days yeah. and I feel like it's not really something it, it, it is something that I now think that, that uh, I did a piece on uh, I did a piece for BBC Three actually on uh, football YouTube teams the teams that are basically were like kind of influencers on YouTube that had kind of built this kind of fan base. Uh, they were just like Sunday league teams like uh, SE Dons or uh, Beatty Squad um, or like Palmers, uh, one of the original ones, or uh, Hashtag FC, I think, were another one. And like, all these teams were kind of just average dudes, basically. I mean, they, I think they were semi, some well, of them were well, semi-pro. Hashtag got into the so- FA Cup, didn't they? Yeah, some of them were pretty good. Yeah, some of them were pretty good. I mean, the dudes I uh, were... Uh, talking to Essie Dons a lot of them were semi-pro and they, I mean they have this keeper um, who's fucking amazing he's on the Soccer Extra I think on the mornings or, or Soccer AM sorry in the mornings um, he does their goalkeeping for them he's fucking well good but like some of them are like uh, you know they're basically you know the difference between semi-pro and pro is basically kind of uh, is inches I think sometimes you know like Chris Smalling was playing semi-pro Jamie Vardy was playing semi-pro and then they ended up being in the Premier League and stuff but like so the quality is not really that far off but I think it's um, it's so much not nicer to watch like these kind of teams like they got a real sense of community. They stick around after the game and record like them chatting to the fans. Like they proper like you know they build a community together and obviously they're always commenting and like they have little personalities that are like sit on the side and you know them and they become like I guess influences. Each of them are kind of their own mini influences in the team. Like you know instead of it being like. Um, te- instead of like having like you know Aubameyang and he's got like wacky hairstyles but he scores a lot of goals and he's always like really happy you have like I don't know um, the goalkeeper who's like massive and like he's like a real like, ma- like vocal presence and like but he's just as much of an influencer really as like Aubameyang in his own way to these kids that watch him in the local area and I feel like that's the kind of connection I feel that like a lot of modern football is lacking really that there is no that there's not that they've lo- they've lost that immediate connection of these people just being average dudes that you know that y- you could have been that have just applied themselves to football because now it seems that modern football is just so far removed from reality in terms of you know how professionals get there and they're basically been plucked out since the age of like eight and have yeah. been trained up like 
kind of like you know, cyborg children <laughs> from like the, the future where it's like some Spartan shit basically you were saying like uh, uh, Henri and Ronaldinho they're, they're having fun and they're like playful but I guess there is an element of it where these 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 dudes are like grown men that have never really grown up yeah because a lot of them have literally just been playing football their whole lives and they have no they've been babied their whole career from literally like you know eight years old up until the age of 35 or 36 when they retire they've had everything done for them their food their schedule like everything like no wonder when they go off their rails they go off the rails fucking hard yeah. because like and also the kids who get children. discarded as well. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Like there was yeah, yeah, yeah. a Man City kid last year who killed himself after they, uh, they not got rid of him, that's not the right word, but like released him. Fuck yeah. Hell. Like it's wow. quite, it's, it's quite predatory as well. Yeah, 100%. Because you're basically, as I said, it's like this dystopian kind of like future soldier type thing where yeah. you're picking a, you're picking a kid essentially on raw genetic or raw kind of like <laughs> physical prowess and you're being like, well, you're going to be like the next David Luiz because you can like punt a ball like he does. Or you're going to be the <laughs> new Ronaldinho because you can like do a step over like him. And, you know, these kids are like five or six years old. Like they don't know what the yeah. fuck they're doing. They do like, you know, they know they enjoy playing football. But really, if you got told at that age you're good enough to be playing for Arsenal one day, your brain as a kid is just like shit, man. That's just my life now. But like, it, it, you know, obviously most kids don't really like think of it that way. But if you're told you're talented enough to do it at that age, then you're fucking, that's it. You're set for life. You can't think about anything else. So yeah. I feel like a lot of these kids, as they're saying, like they never really grow out of essentially being kind of nursed as a baby. And so that's why a lot of them probably do seem quite childlike. And, and maybe like, you know, you get some of them like, uh, um, Alain Saint Maxim or whatever, who's really fucking funny mm-hmm. and like really jokes. But a lot of these kids, a lot of these dudes are just very, very boring because they've literally <laughs> had no other life they other than play fucking FIFA. football. Like they just play FIFA yeah. and they wait for their ratings to come up on FIFA like every year. <laughs> exactly. And then they get really bitter. The and like, oh. to develop <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you, your, your whole life is based around stats. I mean, some of the kids that have been growing up now, like Foden or, or Saka, their lives would literally just be a constant stream of stats and Opta sure. Pro and yeah. all yeah. this shit. Like they wouldn't know anything else. Like at least kids like Vardy or like Henri would have had some kind of raw. Saka's like, really bright though. Um, apparently, he got like three A's in his in his A levels. Like, oh, he's such a good boy. And he, he's like he's, yeah, he's like his really Instagram nice. name is like God's child. <laughs> yeah, he's fully religious. He's a really good lad. You can tell he's just yeah, a good yeah. lad as well. But yeah. like, he's um. But then again, he you know he's he's really nice. But then. He's not got that same kind of. He's not like Ian Wright. Do you know what I mean? He's obviously a fucking nice yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's not like uh, yeah. he's not like Ian Wright or like or like Tony Adams or Paul Merson or like he's not like those dudes. He's like he's a he's literally like built from the ground up to be yeah. a professional football player in every yeah. sense mm-hmm. of the word, really. Like, and even his like kind of social media presence, as it were, could be seen. I mean, I, I doubt. I, I I'm pretty certain he's genuine because he seems like such a nice dude. And I, yeah, as an it's Arsenal fan, face. I just want to believe it. <laughs> yeah, you can tell. Yeah. I mean, he seems like nice, but like some of them, you know, you can see that obviously some of them are being socially media managed as well. Like they, yeah. they probably yeah. pay attention to that aspect of it. Yeah. Or they like let someone take over it for them. So like football's a weird one where, as I said, like they're, 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 it's so far removed now that essentially each player is their own brand, their own business and yeah. stuff. I mean, that all kind of ties into the hyper-capitalism of it, really. Exactly. Yeah, you can't fuck up your sponsorships. Exactly. Yeah. Even if you get dropped from, like, you know, Man City, a lot of these kids, like, they, they, there was a team called Rising Ballers that I uh, spoke to, and they, they basically picked kids that were, like, looking to get into professional clubs. Mm-hmm. And um, they were really good. They were, like, a really 
cool idea because they they nurtured and developed young kids and they were basically their aim was to like get them into professional clubs via any means like by basically boosting them up and and then they they kind of created their own team to to kind of show off these young talents and then they also took kids that who who had fallen through the ranks um, or fallen through the cracks of the professional youth systems yeah. kind of thing and then wanted to still play to a really high level so they were obviously like really really high level kids it was like basically like watching Arsenal play in the League Cup like about 10 years ago. Right. Where like they were just playing like 16-year-olds and like, you know, loads of 16-year-olds you never heard of and like Carlos Vela or whatever <laughs> would always score like a crazy chip. But like that whole team was like that, just incredibly like skillful. But like, yeah, but their aim was to get them all into into football teams really on some level. And they had got them professional contracts here and there. The whole drive for basically... The hypercapitalist drive, I think, in football now has got so out of hand that, like, as you said, like, even football, like, teams are now kind of almost like secondary nature to, to the players. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, teams now get, like, uh, you know, a lot of fans go to support Ozil wherever he goes, yeah. or go to support Ronaldo wherever he goes, yeah. or go to support Messi, or even though he's been at Barcelona. But, like, that's just now kind of almost like, in a way, the kind of neoliberal dream where it's like, it doesn't matter where, where the company is. As liquid as football, quite literally, as 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 both uh, you know, as both as as both uh, you know, Zygmunt Bauman and Alan Partridge would have said, <laughs> "Liquid exactly. football, exactly, <laughs> liquid as liquid assets. Exactly. They're all liquid assets. I mean, it doesn't matter where they are, as long as they're doing the there's thing." The, there's that, the, ti- there's the title for the po- for, for the episode as well. Liquid football. <laughs> liquid football. Oh, you say liquid assets? I'm thinking of the lasagna at um, oh. the Emirates. Oh no. <laughs> Lasagna. <laughs> 2007, uh, final day of the season. Oh my god, Spurs West Ham. <laughs> how many of their players? How many of their players had to walk off? <laughs> oh yeah, that was bad. Uh, and the reason, the reason I love football is because I, I can't remember who it was, but like Jason Punchin or something. You know, I think like one one time like comes comes out from like half time a few minutes late and then like the whole crowd just starts singing he went for a shit he went for a shit jason punching he went for a shit and it's like it's, i feel like it's only football which yeah where you can have stuff like that yeah, <laughs> I, don't know. I think it like, was last world cup jamie vardy has to run off part way through and <laughs> comes back because he's had to take a dump <laughs> but uh, speaking you know what we were talking about earlier with the, the sort of hyper capitalism of football right and like just the eye-watering sums of money involved um the Neymar deal from a few years ago really, <laughs> really, really kind of like that changed the game because like, you know, up until that point, you know, every few years there'd be like this massive record breaking transfer. Like, you know, for the longest time it was Cristiano Ronaldo from Man United to Real Madrid. Um, and then it was for a short while it was Gareth Bale. Um, oh, yes. And then <laughs> Neymar, Brazilian superstar who's at... Uh, Barcelona at the time and this is for anyone listening who who might not know about this uh, that summer I remember Bar- uh, Barcelona were really going for Rabio, who was uh, PSG's star midfielder and um, PSG had told them to fuck off like multiple times and PSG are in case anyone doesn't know basically owned by the state of Qatar um, you know you can have like there's there's big money in football there's massive money in football then there's like a football club as a state asset, you know, which is basically yeah. what Man City or Qatar, or, or, or sorry, or PSG are, you know? I mean, it's it's a completely 
different level of like they they have infinite coffers behind them basically you know there is no amount of you know nonsense that they can do in the footballing market that they will not be able to get away with you know there is no accountability no regulation for these clubs whatsoever there's a lot of yeah. pretenses for financial fair play and whatnot to, you know measures supposedly against financial doping in football it's all nonsense it, the, the game is corrupt to its absolute fucking even when they, they tried uh, to get man city last exactly. season didn't they and it was like no this exactly. is never gonna happen exactly they're like nah yeah. nah yeah. No, it's fine we're gonna play they anyway. brought out like an army of lawyers man i remember yeah. watching us seeing that pick of like about 20 lawyers they had coming out it was like a whole team they had and and uh, and and so for for anyone who doesn't know what happened with the Neymar deal um cuz Neymar had still had like a massive long term contract at Barcelona and he was you know the, the contract was worth a huge amount of money and um like the sum of money that was being touted around was uh 200 million uh i think 200 million pounds or 200 million euros uh you know for this transfer and uh but but because they couldn't sanction it legally from what i remember the way that this actually went down is that neymar was given somewhere in the in in the in the region of half a billion euros to become the 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 ambassador for the qatar foundation and he used that money to buy out his own um oh, own yeah. barcelona contract clause, exactly yeah. and then he was a free agent at which time he was allowed to go to psg on a free so he technically joined psg as a free agent and not as a transfer from barcelona yeah. and it was just such an obvious blatant flouting of any like any any rules regulations you know by the very institutions which are supposed to be holding them up um you know that it just kind of like you know it's just like shows beyond any uh you know uh a, a, any doubt that like this game is just so so fucked <laughs> and like this is one of the things you know when when talking about you know especially as leftists you know as anti-capitalists how do we sort of get past that that cognitive dissonance that comes from you know uh from from being a a, a football fan in in the modern age you know just because of the the eye-watering amount of money involved for example arsenal earning like the biggest match day revenue in the whole world and still doesn't pay its staff minimum uh a living wage yeah we don't you know? pay living wage uh, that doesn't pay its staff you know at least 10 pounds an hour and it's 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 fucking shocking you know arsenal is a business yeah. they own flats now, yeah. which they're refusing to pay for cladding on. It's pretty scummy, some of the stuff that Arsenal yeah. have been doing recently, to be fair. Yeah. There's obviously, you know, the, these these massive excesses of the modern game that are happening, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, whether it's the, the, the Neymar transfer or, you know, um, a few years ago when the, the FIFA corruption scandal happened. Uh, do, do you remember much from that time, Tom? Yeah, well, I, I, the, the, the thing is, I mean, about that all that stuff, yeah. again, it's like... Um, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like the Tory corruption that goes yeah, on like every exactly. day now in the yeah. UK, where it's mm-hmm. like um, it's become so brazen and just so obvious yeah. that people don't even really like what can you even fucking do? Exactly. And like like it, with FIFA, they they are essentially a, a monopoly on the on the on, in the football world. Like the the only thing stopping really a Europa a Euro, European Super League, which in itself would be its own form of kind of like. Uh, hyper-capitalist kind of like monopoly mm-hmm. is the fact that there's already another monopoly that would stop that monopoly from happening. <laughs> so it's like, you know, teams like Barca and Real and even weirdly like Arsenal, we're still considered a big club and like Man U and Liverpool and stuff. The only reason that's stopping them from basically creating a permanent Champions League that, that makes them play in their own kind of like uh, cut-off league from everyone else is the fact that 
FIFA would just say, actually, no, you can't do that because you're not going to give, we're not going to make enough money from it because we already make loads of money from the World Cups, which would, that would detract from, you know, and like even stuff like the Guitar World Cup. I mean, the, everyone forgets about the fucking Guitar World Cup, but that is in fucking, that's next year yeah. in winter next year. So we're going to have Euros 2021 this summer and then we're going to fucking have like a winter, we're going to have a, the summer, the season's going to go through. And then the next season is going to be cut up in half by a World Cup that's being put in the winter for some reason because it's too fucking hot to play in the summer. And it's like when you when you actually just break it down on a logical level, like giving a fucking World Cup to Qatar on any when you factor in all the things like of someone of of a, of a of a country being hospitable to playing football, surely one of the main things is can you do it in the summer when the cup is always held traditionally since it actually started and they go no we can't because it's too hot and everyone would die and you go well that probably means you shouldn't hold the world cup then <laughs> like you can do the winter cup or you could do another form of cup but you shouldn't be holding the winter world, the cup. world cup yeah, would the, you winter, like the, olympics? the winter olympics anything else just but have, you like, shouldn't be do doing the world the cup just like create artificial snow. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it, it's it's like how, I mean I mean they probably would do that. They already create all those like weird like ski slopes, like fake Venice. Yeah, like the, the fake Venice and stuff they have in the, yeah and ski slopes and shit. Like they probably could do whatever the fuck they like and do their own Winter Olympics if they wanted to. But I'm saying is in if you've got to like if you've got to create you know however many stadiums that are never going to be used again and kill yeah. hundreds of people in the process yes. to make sure that the stadium can happen. Stadiums can be only just about hospitable to play in the winter. Then why the fuck would any right like national governing body of football say that's a good idea unless everyone was clearly getting backhanders? And it's got proven. I mean, people were getting arrested left, right, and center mm-hmm. just like a couple of years ago because they were getting so mm-hmm. many fucking backhanders from that very fucking World Cup. And nothing's changed. They're just like, yeah, loads of people have died and loads of people got done for corruption for it, but we're still going to let it happen because you know the money's already been hit in our <laughs> bank account, so we can't fucking do anything about it now. But I mean, I, I, it's like. There's been a lot of chat on, on the timeline recently about um, anti-capitalism versus anti-consumerism. And obviously, everyone rushing back into JD Sports or rushing back into yeah. Primark. And everyone's going, oh, well, actually, anti-consumerism is like classist somehow. And it's like, there's been a whole like kind of thing about it. And it's like, I don't want to get Who into like a beef about Wait, it. But, sorry. Like, anti-consumerism there was loads is of people classist. Being, like, anti- That's a well, new people one. were basically saying... Some, My God! Some, people were trying. People were trying to say that like shopping in Primark is like a cent is is akin to like food banks <laughs> oh my God. and shit like that. And it's like what? Like, it's like look, man. Anti capitalism and anti consumerism go hand in hand. <laughs> so you can't be like an anti. You can't be like an, an anti capitalist leftist and just be like. I, I read all this. Like I mean, I've just like I probably I'm just saying all this shit because I just read like Mark Fisher or whatever, but that <laughs> capitalist realism stuff. But like you know, we've got so blasé about consumerism because because it's so entrenched in our lives yeah. we're now kind of post-capitalist where we can't even see a difference mm-hmm. and th- that was a quite a funny discussion recently about seeing that because it's quite similar to what you're saying now with arsenal like i can't be a consumer of arsenal or, or i can i have to passively consume arsenal 
without it really without politically engaging with it because as soon yeah. as you politically engage with the concept of Arsenal it's like that is insanely corrupt and you know and like yeah they do a lot of stuff for the community but they do shit like build flats or be landlords and yeah. don't do cladding or like don't pay their staff properly or sack loads of staff and then spend like 50 million on party who's not even been that great this season like they do loads of shit where this it's is like what that we is... lost the Gunnosaurus for exactly we lost <laughs> the Gunnosaurus for this when we got lost on the source for, to, for, to put to put Ozil on the bench and like the whole thing of Ozil doing this PR battle with him being like I'm going to pay for Gunnosaurus which I don't think he ever did by the way it was obviously just a PR like war with oh, the he's club he's got fantastic PR he's got, the, mean, best. He has. He's he got has the best he has the best PR it's the best PR but again it's like all this thing where it's like you know the PR of the club versus the PR of the player because Ozil as a brand is so powerful as I was saying before like these these players are now powerful a lot of people depend on their like a lot of people uh, rely on these people for their salaries basically yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so, so I think with that stuff is that like so it's now you can't you can't really be a consumer even of modern football in any sense really unless it's like you know uh, uh, League 1 or like League 2 or like you know National yeah. National League without being very aware of the inherent contradiction or the inherent like um, capitalist and kind of like ex- exploitative nature of it. I mean, obviously that's really overthinking it, you know, and after a while it's just like, well, it's just fucking football and like, I just want to watch football. I don't really yeah. care about all that shit. But you can't ignore how badly it's fucking up like the, the local community or, or how exploitative it is or or how like fucking gross it is really that you're having a World Cup in Qatar in the in the winter and it's so blatantly been funded by corruption and it's so blatantly like leading to the loss of, of mass loss of lives just to yeah. build these huge projects of, of like these huge kind of like empty stadiums that will never be used again as long as we fucking live and it's like that you can't watch football and not and ignore that but at the same time as in there's no way of like constantly engaging with all of that whilst watching football. Like it's impossible to do both at the same time. Like you can't watch fucking um, Lacazette be shit against like whoever he's going to be shit against next. <laughs> and also at the same time be like, yeah, but also that's really bad. Like it's really bad from a left wing perspective that I'm watching Lacazette be shit. <laughs> so I mean, you can't really, that. I've, I'm already thinking about enough bad shit as it is going on. Like yeah. I'm already thinking how bad Arsenal are. I don't need to think how yeah. bad they are socially on top of that. This whole thing with like Qatar and corruption, right? Like, the year that both Russia and Qatar got announced, uh, you know, for the World Cup, and there was like widespread, uh, there was widespread shock and outrage at the time, and that's kind of essentially what led to the FBI investigation, which led to the downfall of Sepp Blatter, uh, Sepp Blatter's reign as the president of FIFA, and this was back in 2015. Yeah. Like the one thing that really sort of stands out to me, because I, like I, I only sort of remember bits and pieces, but it is like you were saying, one of those things that like you don't, you you kind of have the idea of it anyway. Yeah, people pay bribes to make sure that shit, you know, the the the, the wheels get greased. You know, it's, it's essentially essentially, you know, when when there is so much money at stake, of course that's how it's going to work because. We live in a society, god damn it, you know? And it's fucking corrupt. It's 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 fucking capitalist, right? And and that's just how shit works, right? But what was really funny to me, a couple of details. Firstly, a man called Chuck Blazer. <laughs> this this Santa Claus looking motherfucker who uh, was the one that was compromised. He was the one that was like, uh, that the FBI actually got to and got him to wear a wire into the meeting. And like this whole story of the takedown and like basically I think 16 officials, 16 FIFA officials got arrested uh, in Switzerland during the 65th um, or in the lead up to the 65th FIFA Congress in 2015. This whole story of like this Chuck Blazer 
plays that guy, you know, who he died a couple of years ago. Oh, was he dead? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, he died a couple of years ago. Um, oh. Uh, and uh, he like had a he had a an apartment in Trump Tower in New York for his dogs. Like this is the kind of money that we're talking about, you know, <laughs> like uh, just just really really sort of obscene fucking amounts of cash involved. Um, but what's sort of funny to me is like you know like the, you know Russia and Qatar. It's really easy, I think, to say like yeah, Russia and Qatar obvious corruption, you know, like that that happened. But for example, like the Germany 2006 World Cup, uh, in 2000, Franz Beckenbauer made a, a 10 million franc payment to FIFA. And uh, last year, that case was dropped because it's been too long since it originally happened. And uh, in 2000, Germany won the bid for the 2006 World Cup by one vote ahead of South Africa. You know, so when, when it's some, someone like Germany, you know, like, it seems to be sort of a, a lot more forgiven. Obviously, you know, I'm not saying that the scale of of the operation is the same. Uh, obviously, Germany has a much bigger football culture than, let's say, uh, Qatar Qatar does. Uh, and yeah, chances are, like the stadiums in in, in the the, the stadiums, if I'm going to be all, uh, you know, Oxbridge, uh, are, are going to be uh, reused uh, in Germany, whereas in, in Qatar they're, they're not. And likely, far fewer people will have died or been used in literal slave labor to build them stadiums in Germany than than in Qatar but the bottom line is that like all of these uh you know massive sporting institutions you know whether it's the FA whether it's uh FIFA whether it's the UEFA whether it's the German FA or whatever you know it's all fucking corrupt and um you know that's that's an inevitability just given you know like I said just the 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 ridiculous amount of money involved and uh you know the this question of corruption I think always just um it's 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 always interesting to me, you know, like the way it's framed, you know, in terms of like which countries it's seen as corruption and in which countries it's seen as lobbying, you know, because uh, yeah. it's essentially yeah. the same thing, right? You know, it's suitcase, yeah, it, it's, it's suitcases full of cash, one way or another, you know, like you, um, I, I think finally it feels like you know maybe people are getting around to calling you know what the Tories are doing right now actually corruption, and I feel like that language has changed maybe a little bit in the last few months, uh, you know, with. Uh, the whole Robert Jenrick stuff, you know, like the whole Matt Hancock stuff, this uh, Lex Greensill stuff, uh, you know, there's like so many scandals, like it feels like one a, one a month, you know. Well, it's like, isn't it like, was it, uh, what's his name, uh, what's his name, fucking uh, Curtis or whatever, uh, the guy, the guy that everyone has been like wetting their pants about, like, uh, is it Adam Curtis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he talks about obviously how it's like, um, it's well. It's it's obviously like the hyper. Is it hyper normalization? Yeah, is that what yeah, you cause it? Yeah. Uh, and it's like you know, it it is. It's kind of bombarding you with so much. Like it's bombarding you with so much corruption mm-hmm. that you can't actually handle yeah. it. Like that shit about like uh, Jenrick and stuff. Yeah. Like that was the most blatant fucking corruption <laughs> of all time. And then he still turned around and had the balls to openly say in public only a couple of months later about the uh, Liverpool uh, he's, thing he's about how corrupt that corruption like, lead in Liverpool. Fucking <laughs> it's like what the fuck? But it's like but it's like you're, you're literally taking the piss. Like they must have done that as a joke to be like, well, let's see how far we can take the piss by getting the most corrupt. The guy that we've seen recently that we've got like caught for corruption recently and get him to be the corruption guy because it's like you can't have picked another more corrupt well, an cunt expert. than that guy 
But that, well, there you go. He's an expert. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. Like, hey, let's pick Robert. He knows what he's talking you know, about when like it comes when, to fucking You know, it's like when, when the FBI goes to, goes to that hacker to, like, you know, find the hacker. You know, like, when they go yeah. to that thief to catch the thief. You know, like, you know. Because <laughs> he exactly. really knows. <laughs> yeah. Is that your big brain stuff? <laughs> yeah, they're actually playing 4D chess with us all, basically. Yeah. But it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's so annoying because it's like, again, it's, it's a bombarding of that kind of. And I, if, I don't know what it's, you've been like, but for me personally, like Arsenal has been a bit like that. I know we keep on talking yeah. about Arsenal, we should talk about something else, but like, no, there's been, there was, there was one point. What we're, what we're here to do. <laughs> well, yeah. There was, there was like one point when we, it was really like a bombardment of negative PR. Yeah. And I don't know whether it was like Ozil were just like fucking leaking it all to whatever, but it really did feel like there was story after story of of stuff and i think Arsblog covered that really well andrew mangan uh is like just really underrated i think as an actual writer i think obviously he's like he's seen as like a you know a good blogger or a good podcast guy but i think actually as a writer some of his kind of daily uh blogs can be really really great like actual articles on the state of like modern football or even if it's arsenal related it can still be quite you know uh, quite uh, poignant I think for the wider yeah. perspective of football yeah. he wrote a really good one about um, he wrote a really good one about you know after all that stuff was happening and and there is a massive disconnect in the modern fan I think between you know the dude who has like um, a soccer guy in his like Twitter profile pic and he's just like saying ratio under every like reply or whatever <laughs> and like you know there's a massive disconnect between that guy and saying like you know who's just constantly saying Saka's like Shaka's shit like Arteta out and all this shit compared to like the kind of fan that's been doing it that's been going to the games yeah. like every day week in week out and like again that's that is the very, it's a very cliche old man yells at cloud thing where it's like we're comparing the modern fan to the, to yeah. the older fan. But a lot of these older fans do have a lot of a deeper connection with the community of Arsenal yeah. and do really realize that the kind of hyper capitalist kind of exploitative element to it, um, in which they would be willing to sack like 50, 100 or how many staff was it? Like 150 or mm. something or like a lot of fucking staff. Um, and, and if, which financially, yeah, it, it, you can always justify it with COVID, but really they're just justifying it any way they fucking can because yeah. the staff, the staff wages Stan would have been Crump, pittance Stan compared Crumpy, to like the owner of, of of Arsenal is married to the Walmart fortune. He's married I to mean, the, the to the heiress of Walmart, which is like one of the biggest the biggest, biggest fortunes in the world. He himself is a multi billionaire who owns like multi multiple exactly. different uh, sports teams. He has teams. a lot of teams, exactly. Uh, but and and he is his wife is even richer. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so. It's like they got the money and everyone knows they got the money and everyone knows that if they really gave a shit, he could save all of those jobs in a flash if he wanted to. But he just doesn't want to because he just doesn't give a shit. And that is essentially the unthinking or unblinking kind of eye of like modern capitalism ownership in football. Like, yeah. and it, 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 ma- it makes me sad that like, you know, Leicester or um, other clubs, even though they're obviously owned by big uh, multi-corporation like uh, business owners they still seem to give a shit about the day-to-day working a lot yeah. more of the club like you know like uh, Leicester seem to be like a really well-run club I, I think you picked the wrong fucking club to support Nikita. you literally <laughs> like at a really pivotal time as well you were like oh Leicester winning the league oh I'm just going to choose Arsenal for some reason they seem like they're, gonna they're come going back. in the they're complete wrong back. direction it's just a weird it's a weird old system where we just think we we can excuse so much 
But I feel like yeah. at that point, you it was became really impossible to excuse how much of like a, a poorly like run and also very exploitative club that we'd we'd become really yeah. and, it, and 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 we'd become kind of under our noses. And it's not just us; like other teams have had the gall, Premier League teams, to put their stuff on furlough, which I thought was just obscene. Yeah, but uh, there's yeah. I think this idea of like with Cronky, and I think about this a lot, and there's this. Um, Every time things look bad, there's this Nigerian guy whose name I can't remember who's like the the concrete god of Africa. <laughs> yeah. Um, he always comes in and he's like, I care about you guys. I if I if I owned you, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, things would be good. The rich the richest and man in Africa, because, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's also I think um the idea of like so Cronky just views Arsenal as an investment. Yeah. Uh, it's just a, a thing that makes him some money. And that does it takes some of the soul out of it. Yeah. I reckon if we got like a Nigerian owner, like there'd be there'd yeah, be love, there'd be a bit more love back put back into the team. <laughs> Whoa, I, it does feel like it does feel like you know if you get yeah the 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 concrete guy get that concrete guy in and like, it feels like it, it feels like you know not Alisha like not like not oh, but I mean you know I, 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 there's no there's no billionaire that hasn't killed like oh, loads of, of people yeah. to become yeah. a billionaire really. yeah. so like whether it's Jeff, Jeff Bezos like killing Amazon employees in Literally. like warehouses or it's you know like Abramovich like killing whoever the fuck he's probably killed to get ahead of how whatever billions he's got in oil money, people if you can't make billions about killing people, it's literally in like implicit in the system of capitalism to make to make billions, you gotta kill some fucking people, man. Some yeah. people gotta die to make that much money. So like whoever we get in as the next concrete god of Arsenal <laughs> is gonna have a, probably have a very dodgy past. Like Yeah, there'll um, be blood um, on their hands, <laughs> There'll be blood on their ha- blood and concrete on their hands, whatever happened basically, but like I don't, I, I like, I, and the thing is that we've got to be okay with that because all yeah. we're doing really is just, a, and, and it's actually quite depressing how modern fans are willing to do that. Like I remember when the Newcastle takeover was yes. happening, the amount of Newcastle fans that were willing just to go, yes, fucking sick, Saudi Arabia, like war crimes, <laughs> me up, man, I don't give a shit, and, like, mean, and they're really like, yeah, really like fucking care. pining after. Just buy our club from yeah, Mike Ashley. They, they don't. Just, yeah, they, I mean that's how that's, that's how bad Mike Ashley had got. There's a game we played in um, one of our football group chats where um, this Newcastle fan was going on about, oh, you know, Ben Salmon isn't as bad as Mike Ashley. (laughs) We played a game where we took quotes from each one and we we were called Michael Ben. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to find you one of them. Um, Do you want to play a round of Michael Ben? Yeah. Michael Ben Ashley. In September 2016, the Washington Post reported that Saudi Arabia or Newcastle appears to be US-made white phosphorus munitions against Yemen or Sunderland (laughs) based on images and videos posted to social media. Under US regulations, white phosphorus is only allowed to be used to signal to other troops and to reduce visibility on open ground, creating a smokescreen. It is not to be used to attack humans as it burns through human flesh down to the bone which is considered excessively cruel. The United States official said the department was looking into whether Saudis or Mike Ashley used phosphorus improperly. Michael Bin. Um, wow. Yeah. You got an answer, guys. I, 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 I reckon that's going to have to be someone. <laughs> it was Mike Ashley. White phosphorus? What? Yeah, you said Sunderland. 
What? No, it was it's not it's not my cash link. <laughs> I thought it was my cash link, genuinely. He's like, what? You can't you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, right. Sorry, it was too difficult. You can't give the I wrong answer. That's not how this works. <laughs> how are we supposed to build trust <laughs> like this? <laughs> oh dear. To come back to that question of, you know, if if the story of Arsenal in the modern day um, is a reflection of the footballing world in general and, you know, as I've said many times, the excesses of the, the, of the game in, in present capitalist society. I mean, there's something that, that me and you talked about on the timeline several months ago, but, you know, as... Individuals who have stood against this tide, you know, against this this tendency, let's say, of, uh, you know, the this, yeah, this increasing corruption of, you know, whether it's football or politics or society and have, and have you know, tried to stem that tide, you know, throughout their career um, and, and were eventually crucified for it. Uh, Arsene Wenger and Jeremy Corbyn and, uh, you know, and uh, and how these two figureheads, I mean, I don't know about you, Tom, but when Corbyn first got elected as Labour leader, um, I saw a lot of Wenger in him and I saw a lot of like the treatment that he was getting in like a, a lot of the same parallels, you know, and and it might seem like a bit of a sort of flippant you know, comparison to make. But at the same time, you know, I think that there is something to be said about how, you know, both of these people were, you know, very true to their ideals. And, and and you know, despite obviously having to make compromises along the way, but like those ideals end up sort of getting them, you know, crucified. And, and in both cases, you know, any other leader would be 20 points ahead. Any other manager would be, you know, 20, 20 points ahead. Uh, yeah. And, you know, once they're gone, uh, people start to suddenly think, maybe, maybe we weren't actually that, that, that off when they were, the, when they were around. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, this, the, the, par- the parallels are weirdly, like, eerily similar, where it's like, you're having a manager who's getting fucked over internally, yeah. clearly getting fucked over <laughs> yeah, internally exactly. by people on his own side who just <laughs> don't like the way he's doing things for some weird reason because they think they could do it better. And then they basically make things so difficult for him. And also he makes things difficult for himself in loads of other ways yeah. by being stubborn and yeah. idealistic. <laughs> yep. And it's not, it's, not to say, it's not to say that both of them didn't make it incredibly difficult for themselves at times by being stubborn, yep. by being idealistic, <laughs> by saying the wrong thing, by doing the wrong thing. I mean, it's not like Wenger and Corbyn both didn't make loads of mistakes, yeah. but they were also getting constantly fucked over by people within the club and constantly getting fucked over by their own players or MPs, as it were. And then basically they get, finally get, they finally lose too much. They finally, if the the, lo- the losses become too, like the losses become too damaging. And they both have to leave because, you know, it, they both have to leave 
semi semi with their head held high I, I still feel like Corbyn left with his head held high on some level because I feel I feel like he still had the respect of a lot of people that supported him 100%. regardless of whether he won the election or not I feel like a lot of the people that still support Corbyn now still devoutly support him and it's similar with Wenger I feel like mm-hmm. in fact more people now have kind of come round to Wenger than, than when, since he's left obviously for obvious reasons yeah. than they were but I mean th- th- there's always going to be devout Wenger people with which I I, I am because I was like, you know, I, I only really remember about, I only really remember about like five or six years clearly before Wenger right. in terms of like, well, about, well, actually it was probably a lot more than that. But like, I only really remember like massively high points before Wenger were like the Cup Winners' Cup with David Seaman. Like I remember like uh, George Graham um, built like an incredible side of like amazing defenders but we weren't apart from Ian Wright we had an incredibly boring attack mm. so we, our defenders were amazing but we were a very boring side to watch but like we were still Arsenal and stuff but I only went to like about three or four games in Highbury before the Wenger years and then when the Wenger years came in I, I went a lot more because obviously everything just picked up just generally but like when obviously they left then you start to really see I mean you can't and also even just the comparisons of the post of the post period is even quite striking yeah. because Emery was <laughs> e- e- you can't you can't get a more fucking <laughs> Emery politician Emery. I think it was he's the Unai Emery of politicians it? man he's yeah. so Unai Emery and like I love I, I, I think Emery's actually gonna Emery's gonna turn out to be a really good coach in Spain or generally is quite a good sp- coach I think he just didn't communicate his ideas properly enough in England or whatever, but he is so... Yeah, he there was, was a so language shit. barrier, wasn't there? It was a massive language yeah, barrier, maybe, man. Maybe, it was a massive maybe, language maybe barrier. Maybe Keir Starmer needs to reason. go lead a, lead a political party in Spain. Maybe, exactly. Maybe yeah. He needs to go... Starmer needs to go lead a political party in Spain and he'll do really well. But I feel like, yeah, so even even when they left, like it was clear to see that, that everything that... All the ideals that we took for granted in both of them ended up becoming even more apparent in their loss or in their yep. absence, I think. Yeah. And like, obviously now with Arteta, um, I feel like he's at least got the idealism now, but I'm not sure if he actually has the ability. Um, whereas uh, Emery kind of had the, a bit, had obviously clearly had some ability, but didn't have the ideals. So he was like pushing this really mixed narrative, which I think confused a lot of the players, especially when the language barrier was so bad as well. But I feel like Arteta at least has the ideals, but he's not. I'm not sure if he's got the ability yet to kind of kind of back it up. But I feel like yeah, the, the similarities are kind of almost too striking to really ignore. Really, and it's uh, people. People always say with Wenger, like you know, oh well, yeah, but people will say to me, oh, at least Wenger won stuff. And yeah, Wenger did have a really successful period. But like in terms of politics, I mean, it's not obviously always going to be a direct comparison. But Corbyn also won a lot of leadership elections. Like you know, it was the 2017 one where we didn't win the election, but we came incredibly close and all that stuff. So yeah. it's like, um, it, I think there is loads of narratives that are, they're incredibly like, actually scary or like eerily, eerily, um, like reminiscent of each other, which is weird. Like, I don't really see, I, it's such a mad thing where the two kind of people that I've believed in most, like politically and footballistically wise have kind of both happened at the same time, really, or like both mm-hmm. left at the same time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been a weird couple of years, I think. <laughs> it has, hasn't sure. it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like just, just, uh, while reading out for this episode, which just some quotes that I pulled up. And just before we, before we do wrap up, should we play a really quick game of, uh, uh, who said it, Wenger or, or Corbin? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Michael Bin Redux. Yeah, exactly. Michael. This is the better version of, of, of Michael Bin. <laughs> um, 
I don't look at the passport of people. I look at their quality and their attitude. Oh, that's Wenger. That's, that's Wenger. Yeah. yeah, it's got to be Wenger. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean it, it does sound like something that Corbyn might say but get trashed for in the fucking Daily Mail. But I think that even Corbyn would have. Exactly. I think Corbyn would have enough sense to not say something like that. I mean, with like without fear of getting like shot by some like ex Palamirti guy or something. <laughs> uh, what about? I am just an ordinary person trying to do an ordinary job. Uh, I think that's uh, Corbyn. Correct. That is. Yeah. That is, that is Corbyn. Like Venga, 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 I think Venga would say something similar to that because I think like. If you read his biography, he said quite a lot of stuff like that where he was just like, I'm just a guy who liked football and I got to live my dream and stuff. So he was quite like humble mm-hmm. in, his, in his autobiography. Yeah, yeah I love exactly. It when, like, pe- you just see all these pictures of like, people seeing him on the bus in like Totteridge or something. <laughs> yeah. The only moment of possible happiness is the present. The past give re- gives regrets and future uncertainties. That's, that's Paul. I, I think that's like <laughs> No, that's, that's, that's so <laughs> Venga. Um... And 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 just some just just uh, while reading just just some of the some of the amazing Wenger quotes that I just came across were included. If you eat caviar every day, it's difficult to return to sausages. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I feel like that was about when we were. I feel like that was like quite an early doors one where we were like playing really well or like we were basically. I think uh, I don't know. There was definitely. I mean, it might have even been after the FA Cup one where we beat Man United and we beat them in a really shit way. And so like that was the one game where we didn't play like amazing football because we just basically hacked him all game and then won on penalties. Yeah, yeah. Or there was some some game like that where we'd been playing really shit football, but like obviously shit related to Wenger. Yeah. And then he was like, well, if you guys want, like we're not always going to play amazing football. So sorry that sometimes we're going to be shit. <laughs> but sometimes you're going to get sausages. Really Wenger way. Exactly. Oh, also, another really great one is, I think in England, you eat too much sugar and meat and not enough vegetables. <laughs> That's fantastic. Because <laughs> obviously, Arsene Wenger... That's Corbyn. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine that being like Corbyn. And stuff, like, actually, <laughs> you not should. What? That should be one of his, like, something that Corbyn would say after he's tweets. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, sitting with Tommy just getting blazed and, like, writing tweets yeah. just to boil the piss of, like... Divorce centrist dads, <laughs> um, uh, and uh, yeah, w- my favorite Wenger quote possibly of all time is, "I'm not scared to spend money. If you go out with me one night, you'll understand that." And <laughs> I just always imagine a night out with Wenger. Can you can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want I want Wenger to be my like Wenger Wenger to be my concrete daddy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, I think on that note, I think it's uh, probably a good time to sort of start wrapping up as well. But uh, <laughs> I think it's been yeah, really really fun chat. Thanks a lot for coming on, Tom. And uh, yeah, thank I you. Hope, no hope you've had uh, hope you've had as much fun as we've had. Normally, <laughs> I like, catch the end of that Bayern match. Yeah, and 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 norm- yeah. normally we um, like do a, a bit of an introduction for the for the guests at the beginning, but completely skip that this time round. So apologies. <laughs> uh, would you like to maybe plug no something? No introduction necessary. Of course, no, no introduction necessary. necessary. It's Tom Asher, come on. But like, would you like to plug anything before we go? Any any anything at all? No, not really. I got an article coming out for Vittles soon. I think on. Drinking and the British attitudes to alcoholism, as you'd expect from me. Amazing. Um, and then I've got the video coming out for the splits pretty soon. I don't know when that's coming out soon for Vice. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I mean, once those two things come out, 
I'm trying to fucking stay off Twitter, man. I just want to fucking go and get battered in a <laughs> I'm out, man. Like after those two things come out, they're like my two big things I've got that are like creative nice. industry wise. But after that, I'm just yeah, I'm kicking out, man. I'm I'm done with uh, Twitter because it's it's kind of everyone needs to go outside for a bit. I think what people forget is that this lockdown is actually been the longest one we've had. Yep. As, yeah, I did the longest, most severe. Like the the last one we had in the for the first one we had in the summer, it like eased up pretty quickly. Uh, sooner than this yeah but we just yeah. and, it, and then because it's been in the winter as well like it's really felt like a brutally long time for everyone and I feel like obviously you know everyone's getting really tetchy on the TL and everyone's getting really like at each other's throats a bit yeah and I feel like yeah. everyone needs to just calm down chill the fuck out like, honestly I, I know it's easier to <laughs> said than done because there's so much you know so much shit is going on and so much is you know so much you know you know intense shit is happening and then it feels like the you know the most cataclysmic news event is happening every fucking day, yeah. so it is hard to ignore. But yeah, I do feel like everyone just um, needs to relax a bit because it's. Um, I feel like it's it's bubbling up to something that could turn quite ugly pretty soon. That's my yeah. that's my final leaving notes for this football related <laughs> podcast. So. Yeah, uh, for all the Twitter people, uh, I mean. To be honest, I think now that things are easing up, I think it is going to get better. And I think, you yeah, know, people are, I think it's going to do that exactly, as well. Too, you know, and like people are, people are getting out. And like, to be honest, you know, like just today, you know, just seeing people sit outside and have a beer was just so nice. And I think that genuinely, like, um, you know, I think as, as people, people, sort of people like, will, people yeah, will relax. Yeah, yeah, people yeah, will know. relax a lot more um, because I feel like even, even after like, Everyone's already been saying, like, oh, fuck, it feels like... I, I already feel like it's a fucking Friday, even though it's only Tuesday. <laughs> on that note, on that sort of very, you know, delightful note, uh, just want to say once again a massive thanks to Tom for coming on. And, uh, yeah, like, uh, as always, I'm Arjan at Arjanistan on Twitter. Oh, yeah, I'm Nikita. I'm Jeremy Horbin. You can find us on Twitter if you're still there in a couple of weeks um, <laughs> at Leftover Pods. And... Um, I'm just going to keep plugging the Instagram even though I don't post on it. It's left.over.pod. And uh, do you sign up to our Patreon if you can, which is patreon.com forward slash leftoverpod. All support, massively appreciated. And once again, a huge thanks to yeah, all of our supporters you. already. Big shout out to Sarah on production and uh, for cardio for the intro music as always. Thanks to everyone for listening and we'll catch you guys next time. Cheers. <laughs>